So there's one big dance to go and it's for the T20 World Cup. England versus Pakistan on Sunday. Let's now ask yourself honestly, is this the final you would have predicted pre-tournament? Yeah, well, maybe it is. It's two it's two giants, it's two giants of the game who are familiar with each other, having played a seven-match series recently in Pakistan, a historic series. Now with me to preview the final and just find out how how did Pakistan reach the final in the first place from Melbourne is Daniel Rasul. Daniel, I want to start by saying thank you so much for staying awake. I think it's it starts Saturday there, Saturday morning. For Matt and I, we're recording on Friday, Friday evening, and for Matt, probably uh, the afternoon. But for you, it's it's Saturday, early Saturday morning. The dedication to this job, tremendous, man. Well, when when you come to Australia, the hours and days just blend into one. It doesn't really matter what day it is because you're always calculating time differences. And once again, like I told you, <laughs> uh, like I told you when we weren't on. Um, if it's late for me, it's probably a good time for anyone who's in South Asia or the UK. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm being a team player. Is that I, I'll take that. Oh, for sure, halfway across the world, Matt Roller, welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, uh, much much colder and wetter, I can assure you, in the UK uh, than it has been in Australia for much of the tournament. But it sounds like we might be pretty similar mm. uh, on Sunday. That's the sort of the big the big elephant in the room that no one really wants to talk about heading into the T Twenty World Cup final. But fingers crossed, we get a a good game in. And uh, yeah, it's it's actually a, quite a big day for English cricket as well because of the fact that the the finals being broadcast on free to air TV. It means that um, the tournament, you know, typically hasn't. Uh, really cool to light yet in terms of the casual viewing audience in the UK, but um, fingers crossed that will mean that um, sort of casual cricket fans uh, tune in for the first time in the tournament and watch what should be a good game if if we do get 20 overs in. Mm. So explain that to us because in this part of the world, right, even Daniel will be aware of this, we get to watch almost everything on cable television. We, we pay a little, a sub, small sum for it. But why is this such a big, big thing in England? Because I, I know this is applicable to the Premier League as well. There's a blackout at some point of time you guys have. How, how does any of this make sense? And why is it different now this Sunday? So um, the, the reason it's different this Sunday is basically that um, Sky, who are the uh, the main broadcaster for English cricket um, and have the rights for uh, for this tournament, it being an ICC event, have um, struck a deal and have sort of, um, they, they did this the same thing in the 2019 World Cup for the final, basically realising that for a showpiece occasion um, in the long run, um, it probably helps the game and as a result, probably helps them as a company if uh, as many people can watch it as possible. Uh, but generally, um, you know, uh, subscription TV packages are quite expensive Mm. Uh, over here and, and uh, since it, after the 2005 Ashes actually it was um, pretty spectacularly bad timing straight after that series um, uh, English cricket effectively the, the home summer disappeared behind a paywall so if you can't if you don't have access to a Sky subscription which is still a relatively small percentage of um, of, of households in the country um, then you're not um, able to watch uh, live at least most England's uh, cricket there's the odd exception every now and then um, and that's why for example the 100 has been held up as quite a big deal in this country because of the fact that it's heralded um, the return of some live cricket to um, free free to air TV um, so yeah the, the fact that it's available for free on on Sunday uh, Vish my colleague wrote the story yesterday um, it, it's a pretty pretty big deal and um, you can probably expect the viewing audience to be something like five or ten times bigger than it would have been otherwise. Um, so, yeah, it is actually a huge opportunity. And I think the England team will, um, even 10,000 miles away, be be aware of um, 
exactly what's at stake. Mm, yeah, you say five to ten times more. That that sounds that sounds like a massive number. And I and I guess that topic is a uh, it's probably another podcast in itself. Maybe maybe I'll switch it switch it someday. Daniel, you're in Melbourne now. I know you're covering a lot of teams in not just Pakistan, but did you at a certain point expect to be covering Pakistan in this final? Um, when I when I got the schedule for what I was covering, I saw I had a Pakistan Bangladesh game, which was the last game of the group stage. And when you see Pakistan lose to India and then lose to Zimbabwe, you think, okay, well, this is a this is a global event. I'm going to cover a lot of sides. I might sign off with Pakistan in the group stage, but then that's about it. And then I remember in Adelaide because I was told I'd remain in Adelaide until the final. I was I had to get up early because that was the earliest start of the tournament. Netherlands, South Africa. Um, I wasn't particularly pleased about getting to the ground early, and then. As I watched the as I, as I watched the way that first innings went, the way the Netherlands played, and then South Africa, the moment they got got out, um, once again struggling against the left-handers, the left-arm pace bowlers, and the way the South African innings was shaping up, I just began to think, I'm going to have to get down to Sydney, won't I? Um, and from then on, it's just been a blur, uh, one of those things where. Every tournament you see Pakistani fans talking about 1992 and those parallels. I stopped taking them seriously by the time they lost to Zimbabwe because there's too much to do. But then, um, ever since then, it's just one of those roller coasters. It's just been a blur. Pakistan seemed to catch fire at certain stages in certain tournaments, and this seems to very much be one of those that's going to add to the folklore. Um, it's it's basic. It's basically this sort of tournament that's just burnishes a legend that carries on goes through to another generation and uh, yeah that's that's basically pakistan's tournament this time around and we'll probably come come on to it but yeah now with pakistan england at the mcg the parallels with 92 will only continue to grow yeah yeah matt the way pakistan has reached the final i know it's been a blur for all of us here because there's there are there are multiple games every day this is this is the stuff of legend this is like 92 when we will be talking about this irrespective of maybe the result in the final barring if it gets washed out we will be talking about pakistan reaching there for for many years to come yeah i mean i i've just um i spoke to rilof van der merwe yesterday and the interview is just up on crick info so do go and read it but I, I was speaking to him about the catch that effectively ended up um changing the world cup completely because he he had he not snaffled a pretty unbelievable grab against mm. south africa it's every chance south africa would go on and win that game and um, you know, all the all the narrative around that team would have been completely different. Pakistan's game against Bangladesh would have been a dead rubber um, and the World Cup would look extremely different. But um, I remember, you know, uh, Daniel and I were both in Pakistan during the England series in September to October. And I remember a press conference, you know, I have, uh, to be honest, I have pretty limited Urdu, but um, sort of got a translation as to what had exa- exactly what had happened afterwards, where Saklain Mushtaq, the coach, sort of sat there navel-gazing for about 10 minutes because I think there were two back-to-back games on consecutive mm. days. Uh, Pakistan had won the first one and lost the second and the Pakistani media was sort of asking how can how can they be so, so good one day and so poor the next day? And he sat there sort of very calmly and basically said, you know, whatever will be, will be. We can control some things, but the results we can't always control. You just have to trust the process. It's all going to be okay. And everyone sort of derided him at the time and said, what's he talking about? But as it's turned out, you know, it feels definitely feels like there has been that sort of overarching narrative and just the sort of, um, you know, things have fallen into place for Pakistan. But uh, that said, that maybe does detract from, you know, they lost two very close games right at the start of the tournament. But since then, the, the bowling attack in particular has been has been brilliant since they changed the balance of the side. And, 
you know, the way they performed against New Zealand in the in the semi-final, I think a lot of the focus after the first innings was on how well New Zealand had sort of run between the wickets. But the, the fact that Pakistan's bowlers conceded as few boundaries as they did mm. across that game was was transformative and meant that they, you know, they set up what ended up being a a, a bit of a cakewalk in the chase um, through to the final. And I think, you know, it, it feels to me at least like the game will be will be won and lost on Pakistan's bowling attack versus England's batting because I think those are the two, those are the respective strengths. Um, and, and when England were in Pakistan, you know, they didn't have Butler and Livingston, but, um, or, or Stokes for that matter, but Pakistan didn't have uh, Shaheen Afridi, Naseem Shah only played one game in that series. So both teams will be, will sort of strengthen the things that were already quite strong from that series. Um, and, and that to me feels like, yeah, the, the key thing on Sunday. Yeah, Daniel, about that semi-final, it felt, it felt like the perfect Pakistan template for, for a T20 game. The opposition bats, you have that target, which Babar and Rizwan are going to chase it eight times out of nine. Yeah, I mean, let's remember that that's not a template that Pakistan would have chosen if they'd won the toss because that's not how you're supposed to play cricket in Australia, apparently, on the evidence of uh, the way this T20 World Cup has gone. I mean, uh, the first the first thing to say is winning the toss hasn't necessarily been a guarantee of victory. Most, I think, at the SCG especially, I think, other than one game, every game has been lost by the side that won the toss. But batting first clearly offered a, what looked like a significant statistical advantage. But the other thing is, in terms of what Pakistan do and all the numbers around Pakistan's um, uh, the, Pakistan's approach to T20 cricket in the last two years, they are geared towards chasing. And the numbers are so overwhelming in that sense that it almost sometimes feels like it doesn't really matter what the conditions are, that is what Pakistan should do. Because on a good day, that's the most reliable way for them to win um, T20, T20 matches. And on a day when the bowlers keep the opposition to a total that, I mean, at the halfway stage, I was talking to Nasher, uh, our colleague, Andrew McLashan, and I said, I thought New Zealand was significantly below par um, because Pakistan had bowled so, uh, I thought Pakistan had bowled so supremely well that New Zealand, that that, that pitch, that it was deceptive to think that 150, 155 was anywhere close to par at that point. And remember, of course, that in terms of discipline too, I think Pakistan gave away no no balls, no wides in that innings either. New Zealand were basically feeding off scraps, I thought, um, most of that innings. New Zealand, for example, New Zealand hit 10 boundaries, uh, 10 fours in the entire innings. Rizwan and Babur, when they were on song, they hit nine fours in the power play alone. So when when that sort of thing happens and Rizwan and Babur click, it's it's very much an open question as to whether that's a sustainable way of playing or whether indeed any side should play this way. Given given the way T Twenty cricket seems to be going now, but for Pakistan, when that happens, it seems like there's nothing that will work quite as quite as magically almost as Rizwan and Babur in full flow will, and that's the one thing that Pakistan almost have to rely on because. How important was it for Rizwan to get runs? I mean, it was important for both Babur and Rizwan to get runs. That's something that Hayden Matthew had alluded to as well. But then, it it almost at times feels like if. One one of those two aren't isn't getting runs, then the partnership kind of falls apart. Harris, of course, had sort of proved the counter to that in the way that he came in. We'll talk about him as well. But Rizwan, for example, I think Rizwan, for all the for every player that had faced a hundred T Twenty balls in this World Cup, he had the lowest strike rate at that point, and and that meant that Pakistan had not prepared 
for a sort of world, for the kind of World Cup campaign where Mohammad Rizwan's out of form because he just hasn't been out of form in the last two years. So there's no real template for Pakistan to play when Rizwan doesn't score runs. And when suddenly he does, it seems like everything falls into place all of a sudden again. Um, uh, and of course, with Harris, who was bizarrely excluded altogether and then suddenly thrown in against South Africa, when you have that lurking at number three, I thought it was hugely encouraging for Pakistan that even when the target was, I think, around a runner ball, he came in and played the way that he did play because that means Pakistan have that option of a low-value wicket who actually has the ability to take on any kind of attack. He took on Trabada and Nokia against South Africa. He took on a very different... but. He, perhaps just as good bowling attack against New Zealand. So I think that's something that boards quite well for Pakistan, provided um, Babar and Rizwan that they weren't a flash in the pan, if they can prove that that, that, the, that the group stages were the aberration and not the semi-final. Yeah, you, you mentioned bizarre though. I, I want to ask you about that because from the outside, I know, I know it's easy in hindsight to say that Harris should have played. Is Was that the thinking from the start? Not necessarily, to be honest, because... Um, Everyone knew. Every, everyone who watches the PSL knows the kind of player he is and um, how big he can go. But then, when in the, on the few occasions that he'd been given an opportunity, um, he got out in ways that look bad if um, you haven't got a few runs to back it up before that. So, for example, against the West Indies, he played a couple of rash shots. I think he scored six, eight, and zero. Against England, I thought he should have been given more chances. He only played in one game. He scored eight of eight, one, six, five, dot, four dot balls, I think. But then in Pakistan, um, the selectors and the media and perhaps even the fans tend to be less forgiving when, um, you, when you get out playing that way. So it's almost quite unselfish for Harris to come in again against South Africa in a high-stakes knockout game and say, I'm going to continue to play that way because that gives me the best chance and that gives Pakistan the best chance of getting the most out of me. So in that sense, I think Harris being a team player and Harris suddenly finding form boards well for Pakistan because everything seems to click into place, especially with Fakhar Zaman's injury. You still have that hammer at number three that Pakistan do need. You cannot afford to have Rizwan, Babar and Shan in the top three, especially against a side like England. Pakistan did find themselves exposed slightly in a few T20Is at home as well. And yeah, if it was Rizwan, Babar and Shan in the final, I don't think Pakistan would feel quite as comfortable. All right, we'll, we'll leave that semi-finalist. Matt, let's get to the second semi-final. It's been over a day since, since it happened. I don't think me or many people here in India, we, we can still wrap our head, heads around uh, uh, what just took place. It, it was a smashing. Yeah, it was a, an absolute um, thrashing, as you say. I think it, something like the fifth 10-wicket win ever in T20 World Cup. So for it to have happened against India in a semi-final, especially at a ground where they, you know, 95% of the crowd were supporting India, I think it was um, looked like something, something pretty special. Um, I think... Yeah, heading into that game, I think India was slight favourites. Um, and I think particularly because of the fact that England had to make two changes, I think um, particularly the, the loss of Mark Wood, who has been mm. such a point of difference to their attack since he returned to fitness. Um, that's been, that, that was such a massive thing and, and really changed the balance of the of the attack quite significantly as well, because especially if you look at the way England used Chris Jordan in the semi-final, he bowled three of the last five overs and was very much sort of loaded towards the death and it meant that everyone's role was slightly different um, and you didn't have that sort of extreme pace through the middle. So England's plans were quite different, but um, it, it was a, a very strange game to watch unfold because I think when um, Hardik Pandya 
you know, went mad at the end, really. He played a brilliant innings, um, mm -hmm. especially having started relatively slowly and caught up really well. You can sort of read that in one or two ways, which are either this guy's taking the game away from England, this is now going to be too many, or you can look at it as, as I think England probably did, which is th this has basically showed that despite the fact India's top order made this pitch look pretty tough, it's either they either batted with the wrong intent or conditions have, have got easier as um, the, the night has drawn in. Um, and as a result, you know, we can we can give ourselves license to go pretty hard. And, and you know, in the build up to that game, all the talk was around um, Josh Butler's struggles against Bhuvneshwar Kumar in the past. I think he got him out five times in 30 odd balls in T20Is and Correct. to sort of peel off, to peel off three fours in the first over really just, um, you know, it set the tone for, for what was a pretty remarkable partnership between him and Alex Hales. And um, I think once the power play was done, it felt like the game was won. And I think that it probably, it probably has shown how, how valuable it is when you have two, two informed batters at the top of the order at, at this point in a tournament, because England's batting, if you look at their last three games have been against New Zealand uh Sri Lanka and India and Hales and Butler have put on I think 81 75 and then an unbroken 170 and, and in each case that's effectively won them the game I think England's third mm -hmm. highest scorer at the tournament is Stokes who has 56 runs um which tells you how, how reliant the batting has been on those two you you sort of talk about England's long batting lineup but really so far um, it's all, all been about those two guys. You know, there, um, there was a point and, and there, yeah, a, and I, I assume that maybe Stokes wasn't coming in at number four at a certain stage because he wasn't wearing his pads. And I was like, eh? Whoa, <laughs> come on, man, this game isn't done. Put on your pads at least. But, but yeah, I guess it was it was a demolition job. Yeah, well, Stokes has Stokes has sort of made quite a big point this summer of being alpha in scenarios like that during during test matches. I think there was one point um, I can't remember which run chase it would have been possibly against India at Edgebaston actually, where the the chat afterwards that England supposedly didn't have anyone padded up to come in next because there was sort of <laughs> you know there, there was some chat on the balcony about who should who should go in. There was some chat about sort of promoting Broad as a bit of a laugh and uh, or giving Billings the opportunity to win a test, which he might not you know might not happen otherwise. And they, I think there was one point where they said they you know effectively they were having this conversation and England was scoring so quickly that everyone just just got rid of the pads and thought they'd, they'd panic if anything <laughs> happened but um yeah it, it was it was a pretty remarkable win and I think um I think we'll, we'll give them a huge amount of confidence going into the final just the, the manner of it as much as anything it, it was quite similar actually to the um, 50 over semi-final in 2019 when they absolutely hammered Australia mm. um, and I suppose that, that you know they obviously then only snuck snuck over the line um, <laughs> in the final that time so mate you know the, the fear is probably that the, you know you might have gone one game too early again but um, yeah fingers crossed from from England's point of view they will um, manage to, to replicate something like that uh, on Sunday. Just a quick point on um, Matt mentioning England sneaking over the line there. I thought Kane Williamson had a great line in the press conference where he was asked about how New Zealand continued to be the bridesmaid, never the bride that seemed to get to these semi-finals and finals and not win a trophy. And one of the things he said in his typically understated way was, well, the reason for that partially is that when we've come up against sides in semi-finals and finals, at times we've been slightly worse than them and that's made the difference and at other times we've been just as good as them and that's still made the difference so <laughs> so it's it, it's it's a typically understated way for kane williamson to make his own point but i think i think he he he, he fully understands that obviously at times luck can play a part as it might do um on sunday but yeah that that's what makes white ball cricket and t20 cricket so entertaining and unpredictable
Yeah, I, th- I think he used the word equal there somewhere in 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 that. Quote, <laughs> he might have done. He, he might have done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Daniel, now leave your journalist hat aside. Yeah, as a Pakistan fan, did you want India in the final? <laughs> um, I, this going live. <laughs> um, I reckon. Uh, uh, to be honest, I probably I I I said I said this to a few people. I think I slightly preferred England because there's a. Uh, there would be a different kind of edge to the India game that I think one is one of that sort of game is enough in a World Cup. And we had an absolute classic um, a couple of weeks ago. I, I I think whatever happened on Sunday, it would have been hard to improve on that in terms of a Pakistan-India game. In terms of in Pakistan-England, I think these sides have just the, these sides are so familiar with each other right now. They played seven matches against each other. Um, they do tend to produce some really interesting um, matchups in terms of, as Matt mentioned, Pakistan's bowling against England's batting. And once again, the parallels with 92, they're just alluring. They just draw you in. And so Pakistan against England at the MCG, I wasn't I wasn't born at the time. I know Matt certainly wasn't. So... <laughs> Uh, so so yeah, so it's 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 good to get to experience what that a, a smidge of what that must have been like. I think I probably slightly preferred England. So yeah, I'm I'm not going to complain. Yeah. So you spoke about the seven match series, Matt Roller. You were in Pakistan for the seven match series. Is is there something that we can draw from that series looking ahead to the final? Is there something that teams themselves will draw from that series? Obviously, some of the big guns weren't there, but there are other players who are in the 11, someone like an Alex Hales, for example. Maybe Pakistan knows something about him that others don't. And he's played the PSL so often that he's not unfamiliar to the side. Yeah, it's quite a tricky question. I think think there, there will definitely be certain things that, the teams will have learned from those series. I think they'll, they'll definitely, you know, um, teams will both be looking into the sort of individual head-to-head matchups, um, which batters have done well against which bowlers, what delivery was particularly successful against a particular batter, that sort of thing. But I think, um, and I think you probably, you know, obviously everyone knows about the, the importance of venues and conditions, but I think you do get a different taste for it when you're actually out there. And I'm sure Danielle would say the same, but like just how different a game T20 is between different countries. You know, I, I thought it was hugely different between having been in, um, you know, UAE during last year's World Cup, even even at the venues there, you know, a game in Sharjah is a completely different game from one in Abu Dhabi just because the grounds are so different, the strips play so differently. And I think, it, you know, looking at what, what the pitches were for most of that series in Karachi and Lahore, they were pretty low, pretty skiddy. There were a couple that turned, but not many, versus what we probably expect at the MCG this weekend. You know, you've got huge square boundaries, slightly shorter straight boundaries, but still pretty long. Um, and generally, it's, it, it, you know, it's a, a pitch associated with pace and bounce. So I think there will be a, a, a significant difference. And I think it, teams will be wary of reading too much into specific things that have happened in the past. But clearly, you know, in terms of teams teams and players knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses, it's, it's not like there are going to be too many wild cards out there. Um, one thing I would would add on that is is firstly, I, as mentioned, a couple of the big guys haven't actually played against or faced each other that much. So I think mm. Harris and Shaheen have both bowled less than two overs worth of balls to Josh Butler in T20 cricket, which is really interesting. I thought, and you know, I'm sure Shaheen versus Butler in the in the first over, whether it's the first in, over of the game or the run chase, is going to be a that's going to be a pretty um, remarkable thing to witness. Um, and then also, obviously, a couple of guys in the Pakistan team have sort of come in relatively late. So Nasim only played one game in that that England series. I think was was sort of illness and 
Um, I missed out because of that. And um, Mohamed Harris has obviously only just come into the team. So I think he's only played England once as well. So um, it, there, there will still be a few wild cards, despite the fact that they've they've come up against each other quite as often as they have. There are a few injury concerns, though, with the, with England. Yeah, there are. I, I think, you know, we'll probably find out um, more in about 24 hours' time because England have one training session tomorrow before the game. But um, my instinct is I would be quite surprised if Wood played just because, you know, the, the injury was initially described as muscle stiffness, but he's he sort of confirmed today that it's a hip flexor strain, which I think generally is going to rule you out for at least a week. Um, he suffered that in the Sri Lanka game, so I'd be relatively surprised if Wood was fit. Um, which again, leaves England's attack looking a little lighter and a little different um, to what it did in the group stage. Um, and then, yeah, Milan is it's slightly less clear. I think he's probably got a slightly better chance, is my hunch. But um, but would you so bring I him think, in? Um, <laughs> it's a tricky one, actually, because that's been a big talking point through the tournament is the sort of, I don't know, I guess the similarity almost between Milan and Stokes as, as being mm. two relatively similar players um, at three and four, both left-handers, both sort of scoring similar zones. Um, both probably have a bit of a preference for facing pace over, over spin. Um, that said, I think, you know, I think you, you do to an extent think about falling back on experience in big games. And I think um, Milan as a sort of, 35 year old with a large amount of T20 international experience probably does shade out for, you know, Phil Salt, who's not faced the ball in this tournament and um, is what, nine years younger than him. So I, I, I think, you know, I think Milan will probably play if he's fit, but I think that the crucial thing, as much as, as much as anything we've seen in this tournament, that middle order batters haven't, for England especially, haven't mm. faced that many balls. So, so fielding will be a big part of it. And I think if, you know, if Milan's limping around in the field and or, or there's the prospect of Milan limping around in the field, then England will probably rightly go with with Salt. Um, but if he's fully fit and ready to go, I think they'll go with Milan. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Daniel, from Pakistan's point of view, apart from Fakhar, Fakhar's obviously out. So I think it'll be the same 11, right? That that played New Zealand. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Pakistan sometimes do some funky things, but I'd, I'd be surprised if they div- diverted from a side that produced that semi-final performance. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of what they might do just because of m- matchup reasons, but I, 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 I can't see how Pakistan, uh, I can't see of one person in that 11 who's not an automatic selection now because there don't seem to be any injury concerns either at the moment. So yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, let, let's just pencil it in for the same 11, basically. Yeah, now, I want to focus on one player though, Daniel, Shaheen Shah Afridi. There was a lot of talk in the initial stages. He wasn't he wasn't on his game and probably, probably fair as well. Against India, he wasn't at his best. And in the last couple of games though, he seems to be reaching there. I think he's been very candid about um, the journey that he's taken over the last two or three weeks. So a couple of, uh, I think after the Bangladesh game, he he was very, he's very open, uh, very frank when he said, I wasn't fully fit when I was selected for this World Cup. I wasn't even fully fit when I played the first couple of games, but I couldn't say no to playing, because I couldn't say no to playing, representing Pakistan at a World Cup. Um, it's just one of those things where a player, especially from South Asia, will feel that a World Cup is the be-all and end-all. It defines their career. They have to play as many as possible. But then he says he feels like he's begun to understand his body after the injury better. He thinks his pace has begun to come up. I think Gaurav is going to send over a few stats around his pace numbers. But anecdotally, it seems like his pace has gone up. Um, his ability to move the ball, which really was non-existent against India, um, is 
once again seems to be in evidence although conditions play a huge part in that he's now taking wickets in the first over he's so all those things suggest that while he maybe there's still a good chance that at some point his body might break down but right now at least for this particular moment in time we seem to have in we seem to have Shaheen back to the sort of form that Pakistan need um, to be able to win these kinds of big tournaments um, if he has the pace, if if he finds that early swing that he tends to find so often, then yeah, I think once again he could be a real point of difference in that side, um, especially if he's up against uh, Josh Butler and Alex Hales in that first first over, or maybe the first and third over. All right. So b- before before we get in each of your predictions and 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 uh, maybe maybe a word on Daniel, how how the entire three weeks has has been. You've you've been in Melbourne. You and I think Sid Monga have travelled there along with Andrew McLashen and Alex Malcolm, who are already in in Australia. How has the tournament been? Because we were we, initially in the planning stages of of this podcast. We had one week where we were like we are going to do it. And our theme would be it's the best T20 World Cup ever. That that is probably recency bias. But you being there, how how has the entire experience been? I mean, Melbourne has been abysmal. Let's be honest. The only time I was in <laughs> Melbourne, the only time I was in Melbourne, I missed the Pakistan India game, and I was there for England Ireland, which had to be decided by Douglas Lewis. The two Afghanistan games washed out without a ball being bowled, and England Australia, which was never played. So. Forgive me if my views on Melbourne are less generous than someone who spent more than all of four days here. Other than that, now and now that we have obviously potentially rain forecast for the final, my impressions of Melbourne aren't going to improve anytime soon. But the World Cup overall, if you leave that aside, I, I think it's been quite sensational. I mean, being too close to it sometimes, as you said, they can be a kind, they can be biased, they can be recency biased. But I think the, the sheer amount of games that have been closed, the, sh- the amount of mismatches has been kept to a minimum. The teams that have come through um, the first round have challenged in the Super 12. I think other than Afghanistan, and we all know Afghanistan's quality, other than Afghanistan, every single time team has at least won a game. And at the same time, Afghanistan Australia was one of the best atmospheres I think I've covered at this World Cup. So uh, it, ha- it, has, it has had a lot going for it. And I think it's also... It's also the sort of World Cup that makes it easier for the ICC to have a bigger World Cup the next time around as they will. Because usually it only takes two or three absolute blowouts for a lot of people to start complaining about the uh, so-called associates or lesser teams not being as competitive. But they really haven't been given an excuse this time around. So in terms of the actual quality of the best teams, um, the improvement of teams that we saw maybe a year ago, um, I think this World Cup has had a lot going for it. And as long as we don't get weather interruptions on Sunday or hopefully Monday, um, yeah, this World Cup can rank uh, among the best, if not perhaps at the top. But that, I guess, time will tell. Yeah, you, you mentioned the lack of any blowouts, but there have been washouts. And if we get one Sunday or Monday, I guarantee you there'll be roofs built in the US of A before that, that, that next <laughs> tournament happens. Yeah, they keep, talking about, they keep talking about moving this to the Docklands, which is impractical. But yes, um, it, it, it does seem slightly funny that we have a stadium just two miles across from the MCG where we can't play even though there is a roof and it's perfect for this kind of situation. But even so, yes, it, it's impractical. There's ticket considerations, there's logistical considerations, but I do find that amusing. It's, it's very cricket. All, all we can hope is that the rain stays away. Matt, you've been watching this. You follow more T20 cricket than probably most of us put together. Uh, how, how has this been for you? It, it's been fun from round one. Yeah, I echo a lot of what 
Daniel has said there, I think, um, you know, with a, a 20 team tournament next time, I think this has been a, a really good sort of um, evidence bank almost to, to um, suggest that that, that won't be an issue and I think it's been yeah it's been been great to see some of the um slightly smaller teams um doing as well as they have I mean you know just just thinking thinking back to the Netherlands they I, I was listening to one of their players talking the other day about the fact that much as you know they sort of obviously ended the uh, Super 12 stage pretty well I think they were saying you know if our if our batters had turned up against Bangladesh, then we would have been in the semis. So they were yeah. sort of leaving the tournament with a bit of regret about the fact that they, you know, only come fourth in the group and qualified automatically for the next World Cup. So I think, you know, it shows that um, the gap possibly isn't as, as big as, um, you know, as it is off field because there's a, you know, a huge disparity in resources and number of people playing cricket, population, all that sort of thing. But um, they were a really competitive side. And, and yeah, I think it's been a, a really good tournament throughout the the whole thing, I think it's been, I think that the fans have made such a big difference. Um, admittedly, often only at uh, games involving South Asian teams, but, um, you know, I think that's made such a big difference from from the last mm-hmm. World Cup in, in the UAE, where it was quite often um, played out in front of half full grounds or less than. Um, and I think it's also been really nice seeing the sort of uh, the reversion to having as, as many venues as have been used. Um, just you know, having had, again similar, having had three venues last time in the in the UAE, it's been really nice sort of seeing how teams have planned differently and adapted differently to different venues, um, and just to sort of get a bit of a, a flavour from the from the ground as to um, you know what each venue's been like, the the crowds, the the cities themselves, um, and, and I think actually crucially as well, there's not been a a, a runaway leader almost in terms of the, a, a team that's been rolling rolling absolutely everyone um like the fact that i think every team has lost every team lost a game yeah um looking, looking the, the, the good old days were, right matt when south africa were the only undefeated side at one point <laughs> i thought this yeah, is seems, your, at that point seems a long time ago but i think it's yeah. only about eight days or something like that but um yeah no it's it, i think it's it, you know you, you have sliding doors moments for for both england and Pakistan, if England had played Australia at the MCG and lost, that was that. If Pakistan had, you know, if, if South Africa had got home in what should have been a, a slightly easier chase than they made it against the Netherlands, then Pakistan were out. So, it, it's yeah, I think it's been been really good competitive cricket. Um, and I think it's been so good as well seeing, um, you know, we quite often see bilateral T20i series these days with sort of half-strength teams and, um, you know, some franchise competitions, particularly in the COVID years when it was behind closed doors and you sort of, much as, you know, much as I love T20 cricket, you sort of wonder what it all means. But um, I think at this tournament, teams at full strength really going at it, really meaning a lot to everyone. And um, the, the sort of, you know, the cricket's eternal battle for context, you don't really have any issues with that at a World Cup. It's, um, mm. you know, everyone knows exactly what they're there for and, and it's to to reach that final on Sunday, which, which yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to. All right, so a repeat of 1992. That was the ODI World Cup final. This is the T20 World Cup final. Predictions, guys. Daniel, we'll start with you. Pakistan's momentum at the moment reminds me of the 2017 Champions Trophy more so than 1992. And I do, I, I just can't help cast my mind back to that semi-final against England in Cardiff where they delivered, especially at the death, one of the best bowling performances I think I've ever seen from a Pakistan team or perhaps any side. If they can bring that level of performance, I think Pakistan's bowling at their best just about shades England's batting at their best. Um, 
it's it's very very subjective but i i think it's probably true and so that's that makes me lean slightly towards pakistan assuming both sides bring their a game which i hope they do matrola you can't say rain if i can't say rain then i'll say pakistan i think we'll get um shaheen will clean someone up early on um mm. knock someone over and then harris ralph will take over at his adopted home ground and pakistan will knock it off uh you know no wickets down rizwan baba cruise to the fight cruise through lift the trophy and um saklain will sit there and say i told you guys you just have to trust <laughs> the process as they say in South Asia <laughs> exactly <laughs> perfect perfect that that's that's a lovely way to end this episode of stump Mike Daniel Matt you'll have a nervy 24 plus hours to go we're still a day away from from the final enjoy your time in Melbourne Daniel and all the very best you're covering the final Matt Hola I know you're excited as am I as are you listener thank you so much for joining us on this episode of stump Mike we'll catch you next time <laughs>